we must constantly look at things in a different way. The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast was created by two physical therapists out of the desire to learn more about the different educational roles in physical therapy and healthcare and how healthcare education works by talking with educational leaders and people with different perspectives within physical therapy and across interdisciplinary lines on how education can be improved to disrupt the status quo of healthcare education. This is our journey, and thanks for listening. Are you a third-year physical therapy student that excels on tests when you have study guides, checklists, and deadlines? With all of the information available about how to prepare for the NPTE, it's easy to get disorganized and not feel prepared going into the big day. NPTE Prep Success is an online course that provides PT students easy-to-use study guides and step-by-step guidance through the NPTE preparation. To learn more, visit kylericeprep.com. Thank you again all for your continued support, and now for the show. Hey, hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, and my name is Brandon Pollan. And of course, as always, I'm joined by my fellow co-host, Stephanie Wyrock and F. Scott Beal. And today, we have an absolute flame episode, as today, we are so excited to welcome two phenomenal people onto the show today. And with that, we have the pleasure of welcoming Drs. Zach Abor and Stephanie Allen onto the show. As they really are two phenomenal individuals and clinicians, and, and for the topic of this talk really, is gonna focus more on diving into exercise and education, adjunct teaching, and of course, talking about the Level Up initiative that they've created. Now, first and foremost, guys, thank you both so much for all you've done for the profession and patients as you both are truly fantastic people that have done a lot already. And I'm so excited to see what you guys are going to continue to do. And I really look up to you guys and respect you a great deal from what you guys are doing. But, you know, I do recognize that some of our listeners may not know about you both. Um, For those listeners who perhaps aren't aware, would you guys be willing to give just a brief intro into who you are and about how your journey has led you to where you are now? Well, that intro is pretty hard to follow up. Thank you very much. (laughs) You might be giving us a little too much credit, but uh, we're still hoping to do some pretty big things. So um, we actually both went to Ithaca College in upstate New York. I'm a couple years older. Um, I was actually the teaching assistant for Zach's class. Um, (laughs) I actually, after school, kind of, and I, I think we'll get into this a little bit later, but we're still feeling a little not so competent and unsure. So I decided to apply for and go for um, a residency. And so I stayed around Ithaca and did an ortho residency there. Um, Following, I did travel for two years, travel PT, where I learned a lot. (laughs) Um, And then when I was pretty sure about the type of setting and the way in which that I wanted to start learning and to better practice, I had stayed in touch with Zach and a couple of other people and Boston PT wellness was a place that just kind of, not only can I see myself there for a long time, but there seemed to be a lot of opportunity for growth, both for myself and for the company. And, um, they really just kind of set a standard a lot higher than what I had been used to seeing during travel. So I said, well, I kind of just kept bugging our boss, Dave <laughs> on a monthly basis. Um, and then they were they were ready to hire not too long after I was uh, done traveling. So that's how I ended up here. And we just opened our second location and we're kind of just full steam ahead. And for me, um, 
So Zach here. First off, thank you for that intro and just you, saying <laughs> likewise, the, the feeling is mutual as well because we really appreciate what you all have done with this podcast because it does focus on where I think both of our passions truly lie, which is in the use of education as one of the biggest tools for actually creating really, really powerful change in healthcare. Um, that's actually one of the things that Stephanie, Steph and I first connected on was education, our passion for teaching. I, I taught through PT school. That was the one thing I always wanted to do, you know, be in academia, which led me to teaching a workshop I created with my coworker who's a strength coach, integrating pain science and strength and conditioning. It led me to pursuing opportunities where I taught this summer at MGH as an adjunct um, professor. And that's really my bias. And I think part of what led me down my path is just believing wholeheartedly in the ability of education to transform society and healthcare because within education lies our ability to create an unreal amount of independence and empowerment in the clients we work with. And I think that's why I really advocate for it is we see a lot of dependency issues in healthcare. And I think that when we can really start to understand and become better educators, that is when we can truly tap into our fullest potential as a profession and come together on that ability to really effectively educate and empower our clients. So yeah, I'm at Boston PT and Wellness, Dream Job, Dream Clinic. We have turf, squat rack, barbells, all that stuff. And um, I'm lucky to work with a team that constantly forces each other to level up on a daily basis by challenging each other, feeding off each other's energy, and most importantly, always, always putting the patient and the humans first. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. You guys. So Steph, with you graduating uh, from PT school around 2013 and Zach, you in 2015, what did you each feel were some of the strengths and limitations of your PT educational experience, especially with some of the hot topics lately, like exercise education, pain science, and motivational interviewing, communication, stuff like that? So let's start with the strengths. Um, I think for me, one of my favorite things about our particular experience was I thought they did a really great job of preparing us to really understand anatomy and our neuro courses really well. So through my schooling, I really had a fantastic foundational understanding truly of the anatomy, um, which allowed me to think critically about, you know, pathoanatomy, pathokinesiology, biomechanics, and all that stuff. I would say the thing that I probably was, I guess, I don't know what is the right word, just not discouraged, but maybe wanted more of was the strength and conditioning and therapeutic exercise experience, which I think is a pretty common um, thing you'll hear from most students out there. And just a pretty void of, you know, we had one pain science lecture and our, uh, our psychosocial class was left a lot to be desired as well. So that would, that would be my explanation. My experience. Yeah. The I think you hit on a pretty good point there, but, you know, give, given the option here to kind of give your one good golden nugget of advice here, what are the most important exercise prescriptions uh, or strength and conditioning ideas that any general PT should know, especially new grads coming out of school? What are some golden nuggets you could give to them? Yeah, so great question. And I think that um, <clears throat> when, when I was back there this weekend, actually providing a guest lecture on strength and conditioning, you know, I, I asked a question. I said at the beginning, out of the 30 kids, I said, raise your hands loud and proud. 
how many of you would feel confident coming up here right now and be comfortable coaching a, a patient through basic movement progressions of like a deadlift progression or a squat progression? One person out of 30 raised their hands. And I reminded them that the vision of the APTA is to transform society through optimizing human movement. So I think that there's a disconnect there. And, um, you know, my biggest nugget is I don't think that PTs have to be experts in necessarily dosing and creating, you know, elaborate periodization schemes. But I would say that I think my biggest thing is just understand how to coach the basic movements so they can feel confident in just giving giving their patients different options for, for loading um, in the rehab setting. I think that would be my biggest wish to see like as a commonality across the fields, across the schools. Yeah, I think that that's a really good point. I mean, a common thing that happens in our profession or a common, I guess, statement that I hear people say is that we don't overload our patients enough. And I'm wondering, Stephanie, kind of, you know, I know you probably agree with Zach on this, but is there anything that you want to add to that? What's your perspective on that? Well, we actually didn't, um, I'm, I'm two grades ahead. So we actually didn't have any pain science added into our, and I know that that tends to be a really large term, but even just general understanding about how the updated um, definition and or workings of how pain works in the body and the brain and just kind of being able to in a very succinct um, way, just explain that to people. I think that ties into some of the motivational interviewing type things, having those conversations in an initial eval instead of, I remember our class being very sort of um, scripted. And I've heard that a lot as far as when you went into your um, practicals, you had, okay, I'm so-and-so, I'm your student physical therapist. I'm going to be working with you. Um, and you hop right into subjective and objective and, Yes, I understand it's a little bit of a, a higher tension situation and things like practicals, but I really did kind of wish that we had a little bit more encouragement and or practice with really just getting to know the person first. I know that that's, you know, it's tough in the academic setting, but I think that whether that was a separate class or part of a separate class, um, that would have been great as far as my comfort level for even just starting to develop therapeutic alliance with people. Um, you know, I, I can talk to people just fine, but you still are kind of a little bit uh, formal and a little bit nervous at the beginning. So if we had a little that, little bit of that in basics of pain science, that would have made me a little bit more comfortable. And then again, just to reiterate these sort of just basic progression and regressions of exercises, and maybe even the basics of some general periodization stuff, not necessarily you would program for anybody, but I think that taking an idea of something like exercise periodization or a four to eight week program per se, um, and being able to sort of extrapolate that to even what you do on a weekly basis with a patient. Um, they don't have to have a, a printed out program type thing, but I think that those ideas can be extrapolated to what you do on a weekly basis as well. So, yeah. And I agree with you on the fact that potentially we need to incorporate more pain science stuff. I think not only in the academic setting, but I think in clinical in education, that needs to be something that clinical instructors emphasize. You know, Marilyn Moffitt gave her Macmillan lecture a few years ago and was involved with the ACAP Exercise Physiology Task Force addressing kind of this issue on exercise education in PT programs and She's made very incredible contributions to the profession in this realm, especially. Do you both think that this issue has significantly changed since her talk? 
And if not, why do you think this is the case? So what's interesting is this was brought to me by the students who created the course I taught this summer at MGH. Um, her McMillan lecture is actually from 2004. Um, so for a while. that's, that's uh, I'm, I stink at math, 14 years. That's a lot of time. Um, and I can't honestly say that it's really changed that drastically from what I've seen and from what I've heard from a lot of the students across the country that I'm in close sort of contact with and getting a pulse on. Well, and yet, um, you know, Zach, you say 15 years is a lot of time, but look at the amount of time it takes from a research study to get from being published to being implemented in the clinic. You're talking the same thing, 10 to 15 years. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. And so it's not, um, I think it's important to also establish that this is not a finger pointing thing or being like, oh man, I can't believe we haven't done this. It's just more of saying, you know what, look, um, people have been advocating for us using exercise, like really advocating for it for over a decade. And I just feel the needle has moved very, very little over the past over a decade. So I just feel that when we look at the totality of where we're at with healthcare, with the you know, rising costs of healthcare, the number of people on disability and chronic pain. And when we understand that exercise is one of the most evidence-based and efficacious ways to promote independence in the clients we work with, it's kind of hard for me to stomach that strength and conditioning isn't at the very least an elective that's offered at PT schools throughout the curriculum. So that's why, you know, we drove six hours to give a presentation. And that's why I guest lectured again this morning at another school because I don't know what it's going to take, but I know that I'm not going to sit around and do nothing. And I'm going to try and encourage as many students as possible to be the change that they want to see and make it happen because they are ones that can make it happen. They did it this summer. Yeah. And it's been interesting just kind of in the art of doing the podcast, just talking with and learning so many avenues that really kind of go into the formal education system and seeing how there are so many influences. And it's definitely not a, it's definitely not a simple solution because, you know, talking with more faculty, I've been surprised at how many really, really agree and they want that. They just don't know how to do it to meet all the standards with CAPD, the yeah. board exam, and then just getting through their other like service and research duties that they have to do too. So I actually, I love, that's why I love your guys' podcasts because I love listening to the perspectives of all the faculty and all the organizational individuals you have on there because it's really helpful to understand their perspectives as well so that we can all understand each other better and communicate and like come together for this common goal, you know, because I understand it's not so easy. But I know in my heart that there's got to be something more that we can be working towards together to make it happen sooner. The other half of the thing that Stephanie brought up as far as the Macmillan lecture and everything, you know, why do we think maybe it, the needle is moving so slow or hasn't moved much? And again, I don't claim to have 100% an answer, but I think it's a little bit ironic because I do think that a lot of it has to do with educating more because one of the things that we run into still ironically is people come in and they're not really still sure what we do including doctors you know that that some people are most people are pretty much on board that they know that they're going to be moving and exercising in some way but there's still a large amount of people that come in and and think that we're gonna ultrasound and and stim and massage and tape and that's going to be mostly what they need. And it's, it's hard sometimes because they have these pre-existing beliefs about what we do. And then it's not only do we have to de-educate, but then we have to almost 
try and persuade them and, and, and convince them to, to buy into this plan of us trying to help them get better. And, and it's hard. So I think that, yes, that's one of the reasons why I love your guys' podcast and the, and the idea behind it, because I think in the educational system, education is needed more. Um, if that makes any sense, as far as us being the movement and exercise experts and that being central to what we do more so than manual skills, passive modalities and all those kinds of things. It was really interesting at the ELC conference, talking with a lot of people um, that are in program director roles, faculty roles, clinical coordinator roles. And, you know, the point and, and, you know, as a fair point that people would bring up is like, yes, we can work on stuff academically too. But it all, we can have the best education and stuff in an academic setting. But if that person then goes out to clinical and learns something totally different, that's a hard one. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely not an easy thing. And there's a lot of different things going to it. And, and, you know, I'm curious with you both. I mean, you both have been doing a lot and especially been involved with helping teach within PT programs to help improve, you know, exercise prescription and principles into education. You know, for someone out there who's listening and they're like, you know what, I want to get involved. I want to contribute to helping. Could you guys walk us through about how you actually had gone about starting this up, what the process was like doing it? And, you know, how can others do something similar to really start making this happen from a bottoms up approach to improving, you know, how we teach and educate our students about exercise? Yeah. So I think, you know, first off, I was actually listening to the episode that you had the Columbia students on, and I'm actually going there to guest lecture in January, which I'm pumped about. But that was a very insightful episode and very similar to what happened this summer at this past summer at MGH. The students had proposed for their final project to literally create this elective and they took it with on themselves with a faculty on board. And they legitimately created the structure, the logistics of this, you know, syllabus where they came to me and asked if I would want to do it. And before she even finished the sentence, I was already like, do you seriously even have to ask that? I was like, heck yeah. Um, so I helped to actually fill in the, fill in the blank spaces with like the curriculum content, but they took it with on themselves. They took initiative and made it happen. And I think that it is just so inspiring because that's why I truly believe that students are in a position to really be the drivers of change because they can make it happen. It just takes determination. I think that for those out there listening, reach out into your network and get other alumni on your, on your team. Get other faculty that you think in the area that you think could be appropriate to teach that course. That way you're already coming to the academia side of it with a game plan, with a task force, with passionate people that are going to go in there and really um, advocate for this to happen. And I think that when you come across like that, it's kind of hard to deny when we have all of the evidence on our side, we have all of the students, the majority of students want this. So it's really hard for me to sit back and think that if more students don't take, like if more students take initiative and create task force, I think it's absolutely a winnable battle that we can start to get more just electives, not even in the actual curriculum, just more electives. I think we can absolutely get popped up across the country and it is happening. And we've been helping talk with students and giving them guidance on best ways to go about that. I really like that because not even just from that perspective, but just to add another additional thing on, that's also facilitating more of a leadership role with those students. So then 
they're developing more important qualities that are going to be so much more beneficial down the road, depending on how they want to leverage them. So that's, that's gold. And I think that's been a common theme we've been noticing over the last couple episodes is just, we know we need more leadership throughout the field. How are we going to go about doing that? And I think this is a perfect example. And just to finish this off with one quote from um, Nicole Piamonte, who wrote a beautiful book, Afflicted. She talks about the state of um, academic um, healthcare academia and how it's socialized. And she says, students can no longer be passive receptacles of this information. It can't just be this, here, take it. It has to be a mutual, transparent exchange of information where academics and teachers are still in this leadership role and authority role, but there needs to be more push to encourage students to be more involved in their education and taking charge. So absolutely agree there, F. Scott. I think it's, it's so true and would love to see more of that and, be, and more of that encouraged in, in healthcare academia. No, absolutely. And, you know, Zach, I'm really curious because, you know, with you kind of mentioning, you had done a little bit of some formal adjunct work and me doing a little bit a few months back. I'm really curious just to kind of get what your perspective was jumping into it for the first time. And what do you think were the pros and cons working adjunct? And would you do it in that situation again? (laughs) Well, so I'm a little bit of a cynical human. And um, so I that what I mean by that is I don't know that I would ever want to be full-time academic and teaching. So for me, the adjunct role is perfect because I can kind of go in there as this sort of rogue dark horse and not feel so censored over the things that I really feel are important to say while still absolutely respecting, you know, other professors and things that are being taught, but being able to really say the things that I believe need to be said and, you know, that it, it's as simple as that. So I think that's the biggest pro of being an adjunct. There's a little bit of that, less of that tighter leash on allowing you to like, you know, because it is such a, that's why I don't want to teach in academia is because there's just so much politics involved where, you know, I just presented at, a, at my alma mater and I was told, I was highly encouraged to not talk about anything progressive. And it honestly like makes me want to freaking cry. Um, so, and if you think that that's just the college I went to, you're mistaken. It's, it goes beyond that. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm just sick and tired of not saying anything about it because I, it's like, cause that's politics and that's the way it goes. Like at the end of the day, it's healthcare and the humans that we serve are at stake. And we know that there's a better way to be doing things. And it comes back to this quote of, you know, you do the best you can until you know better. And then when you know better, you do better. And I want to see a more collective effort and I want to see more humility in our culture as a whole profession to just be able to have the conversations without having feelings hurt because it's not about that. It's just about having open communication and seeing where we can all collectively look in the mirror and just say, hey, let's do better together, please. It's nothing personal. It's, it's having gratitude and, and thankfulness for everything that's gone into getting this profession to where it's at. But it's just, it's tough for me to sit back and be a victim of the politics and not hurting people's feelings. So apologize for getting a little truthful there. Yeah, no, Zach, I mean, I I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think adjunct's a really good way to kind of dip your toes in the water and test it out. That's kind of the way that I've been going. And I've had a lot of the same issues that you've had with academia, you know, and I've talked about it openly on the podcast that for someone getting an EDD, I'm not very pro academia. So, (laughs) you know, what, what am I going to do with that extra $40,000 degree? Right. Well, Um, 
I also think too, it's important for students to, you know, get that real world perspective. That's why adjunct faculty are very, very important. And, um, you know, I admire what you guys have done as far as being adjunct faculty. No, yeah, I think the, the good thing about it is you do get to test the waters and see what it's like a little bit. But I, I also think in a defense to academia, to some extent, it's about finding your, your right fit. So you could teach full time if you find a program that fits your mold and, and fits, uh, you know, has a spot for you to do the things you want to do and, and, you know, kind of teach the way you want to teach. Now, that being said, I think we are seeing an uptick in those and we are seeing a change. So it, it might not be there. The position might not be there right now. The school and the fit might not be ready for you right now, but, you know, give it a little bit of time and it may come around and it's going to take some active doing on your part too. You know, if you're looking to get into a full-time teaching position, you're going to have to search out and seek a program that has a great director who has a, a great vision and aligns well with you. And that's where I think you'll find your best fit. And that's where you'll eventually be the most successful. So, you know, I, my, and Brandon and I have talked about this a little bit too. My, my view on academia has changed over the last two years of doing this show. I, I'm a little more hopeful. I think that there, you know, we are seeing a change. So that's good. So I think it was, I, so I actually did teaching at a local PTA program and did more undergrad. I, I can honestly say the admin was super backing and understandable and they liked what I was trying to do. The students liked what I was trying to do because I was trying to do more clinical real world application, get them to think beyond that next level. So I, like, I'll, I'll agree with Scott in that it does depend on, I, I can't speak for all programs. I just haven't gone into that level, but there are definitely some that are open and willing and like they never gave me any slaps on the wrist. They encouraged me fully to do whatever I thought was best and they were supportive. So they're out there. Well, and I think we, we need to remember too that not just like private practice or hospitals, places are going to have their own culture. Places are going to have uh, their norms that people are abiding by. So finding a good fit for you as an adjunct or as a academician is going to be important in having satisfaction in, in your job. Yeah, I think what we've also been noticing from some of the students both in and outside of Level Up, either that we, we know in general or that have given us feedback. I can think of two schools that we've been told seem to be a little bit more, I guess, for lack of better words, progressive and have a lot of, you know, um, motivational interviewing, pain science, strength and conditioning, and in general, more of an approach to things of being sort of respectfully skeptical of things like research and how to read research and you know, looking at the, the humans in front of you versus special tests and all those things. Um, and one is actually um, an ex-Ithaca College professor. He was our, both of our anatomy professor. Um, uh, Dr. Hauk is at George Fox University in Pacific Northwest. That's, that's one program that, that comes to mind with us. So it, like you were saying, F. Scott, it's, it's definitely encouraging. And hopeful is a really good word. I think that we get a lot of, we feel defeated sometimes with a lot of the narratives that come in to us almost on a daily basis, but it's also really cool and really helpful to keep us hopeful when we have people that come in that maybe got an x-ray or went to their chiro and they're like, you know what, but I don't believe that crap. Or I don't, so people, people are starting to educate themselves. Students are starting to educate themselves. 
um, outside of the classroom. And, you know, one last thing, I, I definitely was a passive receptacle when I was in school. I will 100% admit that. And I was lucky enough to have a really good mentor during my residency and to come across some things and be kind of disenchanted with general PT and healthcare while when I was doing travel and that kind of woke me up a little bit. But again, I do, I do think that we are making small steps and that we just need to actively remind ourselves of it. And then in the meantime, just keep kind of making sure that we're heard. Yeah, for sure, Steph. And you mentioned residency. You know, I realize that there's people kind of on both sides of the fence when it comes to PT residencies. But Steph, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this since uh, you went through an orthopedic residency. Did you find your residency training was valuable to your development as a clinician and a person? I would say that any experience is a good one. This particular experience for me, I'm a little bit spoiled in the sense that the director of and my main mentor for the residency, um, his name is Mike Costello, and he is one of the most influential people of my life thus far, especially professionally. He worked with all of the complicated chronic pain, underserved populations in the area, and pretty much sprinkled a little pain science and, and respectful skepticism into pretty much everything that he taught me. Um, so that was my first sort of exposure after school. So I'm very thankful for that. I also do, I will admit that to be an accredited program, a residency program, just like a PT curriculum in school has to be accredited. It does have to sort of teach you how to take the OCS. So I was still a little bit of a hybrid between memorizing stuff to take the test and thinking outside the box a little bit more. But I think that both as a clinician, but probably more so if I had to weigh the two, more as a person. It helped me develop as a person. And for that, I I don't regret it at all. And I do know that there are some residency programs that, again, just like the school programs, are a little bit more progressive. In my experience thus far and what I've heard many of the ortho sports and and manual oriented residencies still unfortunately seem to be a little bit more on that highly academic, this is what you need to take the test. You're going to set yourself aside by having these awesome manual skills and not putting a ton of weight on the humaning part of things. Um, So like I said, I think mine was a little bit of, I got lucky (laughs) that, uh, that my mentor was that type of person and the program itself was. Um, but I would like to see a little bit more of that in some other residencies too. That's interesting. I don't know if we've ever heard that specific perspective on this podcast that um, it seems like residencies are teaching more towards the OCS. I mean, we've heard that a lot as far as the NPTE goes, maybe not towards the OCS. So thanks for sharing that perspective. You know, you had mentioned, Steph, about this um, mentor that has really impacted you. What, for each of you, what has been the biggest life and professional lessons that you've learned since graduating from PT school? I think I got this. (laughs) Um, I think the biggest thing um, and the hardest pill to swallow was realizing that it's not about me. Um, I think academia has a culture and socializes you such that it rewards you for being these amazing, amazing test takers and these experts at pointing out every single dysfunction under the sun. And as a new grad, you want to go out and well-intentionally tell these, these humans in front of you all of these things that are wrong with them. 
because you think you're helping them, right? Because you want to, because for me, it was about me portraying my excellence in clinical abilities. And um, I think that checking my ego and realizing that I was just the guide, the facilitator, taking the backseat, learning how to listen, like truly listen to them and not just listen for what I wanted to hear so that I can tell them what I thought they needed to do to get better was the hardest pill. And I learned that through my pseudo residency that I did a lot as well. Just that was arguably the biggest growing that I did as a clinician, but really as a human. Um, I think a really important question, a really important learning lesson for me and something that I'm now really trying to advocate for, um, for other new grads as well, because it's hard in there. It's hard. Yeah, I think to, to sum up what you just said, I think the biggest thing is the, the further I've been out, the more humble I've become and the more comfortable I am being humble and honestly being okay with saying, I don't know. Um, that was one of the things I was terrified to say to a patient. And, um, you know, I think to, to say something different than what's acted as well is, um, I never really placed as much value as I do now on education and challenging preconceived perceptions that patients have coming in. I think that that's been a much more effective quote unquote tool, if you will, than anything that I've done with my hands, you know, to, to be able to listen to a person, not interject. Cause that's another thing that I tend to do. I've really been focusing on trying to just fully listen. Um, cause they'll tell you, undoubtedly what you need to know and not interject too soon to educate because we get excited and we sometimes interrupt too soon well-intentioned as well but taking a full listen to them and really helping them take their current situation that may seem very very dire and based on what we know as long as there's no red flags or whatever really just helping them take that situation and kind of flip it on its head in a in a good way like I said, kind of playing around with the art of that over the last couple of years, I think, again, has been just to see that person kind of, you know, with their shoulders up in their ears and then have them relax within a session just by you educating them. That tool has gained a lot more credence in my mind over the last year or two. No, absolutely. I could not agree more with personally myself too, being a relatively newer clinician. That was definitely the thing that I needed to learn the fastest and that made the most difference initially. And I, like you, I was rather shocked to see the power of that. And I think honestly in school, they taught us about that to a degree. I kind of overlooked it because I thought it was more my clinical skills, the diagnostic <laughs> skills. I mean, that's, I thought that It's not was, sexy. Right. I was like, it can't be that simple. Like, I was just trying to get a, a lumbar cavitation. That's all I was trying right. to do. Right. Right. I'm like, I'm just trying to really get that area locked down and get the right force and speed. It's all but, set. Yeah. I mean, but, but I think that's such a critical, and that's been a, like you had said, that's been such a mind shift for me as well. And now I don't find myself, I mean, it's good to have good skills, yeah, but, absolutely. I, but I definitely can say that I've definitely initially grown more of the other skills that you both had mentioned too. And, and if those, if those first skills aren't there, it doesn't matter what we do. Amen. Yep. Yeah. So guys, I'm really curious because I know that, you know, there's probably, you guys have definitely um, gotten more awareness out about what you guys have done with the level up initiative, but you know, I understand. And I always know that there are some people out there listening who are perhaps not aware of the specifics of kind of what this is. So for our listeners out there, what exactly is the level up initiative and how has it come to where it's at now? Well, great question. And I will say everything that we've just talked about 
over the course of this episode, I think did a beautiful job of explaining how it came to be. I think it's the summation of all of these lessons we've learned, all of the things that we've seen so far throughout. And this has been sort of the, um, the culmination of that. And, and so what the Level Up Initiative is, is an online platform. And through that, we provide guidance and mentorship to help students and new grads transform into empowerment model PTs uh, that we believe can truly make a difference in this healthcare landscape. What it looks like is it's a four month experience right now where we have groups of six students or six new grads paired with a really, really awesome mentor that checks the box, double checks the box on our core values. And basically what happens is we go through each month has a different theme. So it's growth mindset is the first month. The second month is critical thinking. The third month is listening. The fourth month is communication. Uh, to give you some to give you some insight, basically what that looks like is you know for example the listening module is the first week is a module for myself. Uh, the second one is a guest module from various people in the field. So for example, Chris Johnson provided a really fantastic guest lecture on therapeutic alliance and motivational interviewing, which was really really great. And uh, the third week is when you actually end up meeting live with your mentors and discussing, um, having things that we lead them through. So we give our mentors kind of like a guided, firm but flexible format to discuss these things and some of the concepts as they relate to both personal and professional growth. And then the fourth week's a reflection week where we give generally like a task or an assignment to really try and reflect on it more and grow. Um, but that's, that's really, that's it in a nutshell. And just providing other suggested readings, articles, books throughout the experience and facilitating more networking as well online on the Facebook group. You know, maybe a little bit early, but what have been the results of people going through this program so far? Honestly, it's been, I'm huge on constructive criticism and I've been begging people for some, and there's been some logistical things that we can work out a little bit better, but from the actual experience, the feedback we've been getting is unbelievable. Um, students, new grads are essentially telling us that it's been one of the most, if not the most transformational and just like awesome experience that they've had thus far because it resonates with kind of the purpose of why we did it, which is our belief in really instilling more of this mindset and this culture and these like core values first, and then using that as a lens to kind of see the healthcare landscape and allowing them to really grow into and become amazing clinicians and humans really. And uh, so far the feedback's been really great. And that's, that was always one of our core values too, is, you know, word of mouth marketing is what we believe in the most. And all the networking, all the relationship we've built have been totally authentic. The experience we try to provide is truly authentic. And we think that shows in the passionate reviews that um, students and new grads have been giving us on their experience thus far. Oh yeah, certainly. And how much has it grown? Well, it's, it's kind of crazy. I mean, we're, we're up to almost 5,000 followers on our Instagram account. And we have about a thousand people on our mailing list, which is just absolutely nuts. Cause I don't even know that that was really in my one year goal to have that many people involved in it. So to see it catch on, to see it being supported by some, you know, some of the bigger accounts also in social media, I think it's just been really fun to make it our mission also to 
collectively reach out to different networks and different people, get different perspectives. You know, some of our mentors are extremely PRI influenced or FRC influenced or SFMA influenced or orthopedic manual therapy influenced. But it's bigger than that. It's, it's about how can we all collectively come together and, you know, agree that communication, how we educate is arguably the commonality. It's the active ingredient, as Greg Lehman would say, on why all these systems work in the first place. And so I think one of our biggest strengths has been that ability to reconcile the different silos and get everyone working together towards one common mission through authentic relationships and transparent communication. It has, if nothing else, opened their eyes to a new way of a new option of thinking, a new, even just this, a little bit of a different avenue or lens through which to, to look at things that they've learned. And it's been nothing short of enlightening, I think. And that's kind of like the, the vibe we've been getting and all, all in a positive way. Like they can take that and run with it in whatever, in whatever way that they can. I think that's encouraging. Um, and some of the conversations that have come out of it, just being, having, having my one little mentor mentee group so far, I leave almost every conversation thinking these kids are, I call them kids, but they're not that much younger than us. But you know, these, these humans are about to do something really cool. And when we were in Ithaca, just to speak to that really quickly, after our talk, we, we went out to dinner with um, a handful of the kids that that came to see us speak. And one of, one of the students said, you know, no alumni, have ever come back here and spent this amount of time with us, you know, like we, well, in their defense, it is Ithaca, right? And it's <laughs> balls cold up there. So I, I totally get unless it. It's, unless it's like June through September. Um, but what, but what we had to say to him was like, really, you know, the only thing I could think of was you guys are the ones that are going to really be the big game changers going forward. So it's not even a question in my mind that we would spend this time with you. Um, and that was, that was a really cool moment for me. Yeah, and that's awesome. And you know, I'm really curious. This is just a kind of follow up question. With doing this whole initiative, I'm sure you guys have learned a lot about the process, about yourselves, about others. So I'm going to expand an earlier question now. Put it in this context. What have been the What's been the biggest lesson you guys have learned since starting the Level Up Initiative? Well, man, time management, <laughs> or how much I suck at it. <laughs> um. No, I'm kidding. I don't know. I think just to give it two answers in kind of a positive light and a negative light, I think the positive thing I've really learned is that there's so many amazing people that want to help make this world a better place and make healthcare a better place. I think we figured out a way to leverage that through this initiative and getting as many people involved as possible. I think in the quote unquote negative light or from the personal growth, it's just been the why it's important to understand more about technology, marketing, you know, the whole online web navigating is something that's so new to me. I never in a million years wanted to own anything. So the fact that I, you know, the founder of this company is nuts and it's been a huge learning year for me and we're still haven't even scratched the surface of all the lessons I'll truly learn, but a lot of, a lot of good insights so far. Yeah. And I would say that, the, I'll start with the negative that I've realized how much young clinicians and, and students feel kind of stifled or as though they don't have a place or a voice to express some of these concerns. So they do kind of just go along with the, oh, well, you'll learn that once you graduate. 
type thing. And um, so I, I'm thankful that this ended up materializing to what it has because I think that what we've done so far is be able to give them a voice, a respectful, you know, respectful challenge, like we call it. But um, I think a lot more people are, a lot more students are taking initiative, which has been super rewarding to see. Um, and the positive part, I think, to, to circle back down to, or circle back around to what F. Scott said is this whole process has made me a lot better at remaining hopeful. Um, and that's been really comforting. I love it. And, you know, I know besides you said you guys had mentioned some of these things earlier. I know, Zach, you kind of mentioned more getting more in the groove and learning the technology aspects and sorting out some of those little logistics with the Level Up initiative. But what other ways besides what you guys had already mentioned, what are some specific ways that you're looking to continue to grow and change this initiative to continue to further the mission? Yeah. So I think, you know, one of the themes that we find ourselves coming to is, you know, our mentorship you know, we had 55 people in it. Now we're going to have 102 people in it with 17 mentors, but we still have a thousand people on the mailing list. So one thing we're really working on is how we can further serve that population who's not necessarily in the mentorship. How can we still make them feel as involved through more um, seamless and constructive um, email campaigns and sequences one of the visions that we have and what we really want to do, because this is all free, let, let you know, this is all free for students and new grads because that is, I'm not putting a price tag from keeping people from being involved because it's bigger than that. Um, but what we are seeing is, I don't know if you're familiar with like precision nutrition at all, but what we kind of want to do is create this really well done you know, four to six month experience for new grads um, that will really transform in particular, like their communication abilities and make them really more confident empowerment model PTs through this really cool interactive um, four to six month experience that will open up twice a year with the hope that, you know, one of my biggest visions with this is in like three to five years, would love to have that option to be able to give that to clinics and some of the bigger PT companies with hopefully enough of a following that we can help them shift their culture to adopt some of these things. So new grads will actually want to work for some of these companies that are very productivity centric because the cynic in me originally kind of wanted to see these companies burn to the ground. But now I'm realizing that they're in such an amazing position to provide better care that if I can work with them and temper some of my, temper some of my emotions, I think it would be way cooler to see them succeed and help them succeed and help our profession get to the next stage. Yeah. You know, you guys talked a lot about the soft skills or, you know, you can call it whatever you want, humanistic skills. At the end of the day, it's just communication, right? Yeah. I mean, it's communication skills. So let's talk about a, a written form of communication, right? What are some of the top books that you guys have read uh, that you'd recommend to all healthcare providers? Well, I think we both agree mindset um, first and foremost, because by Carol Dweck. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, that's because to truly become a great communicator, it first starts with reflecting. And I think that growth, I think that mindset really teaches you the value of reflecting. And in that can come tremendous, tremendous intrinsic motivation to become better and cultivate better communication skills by being more a more authentic self. Yeah, my mindset was 100% a 
I would say life changer for me, um, just for my own anxiety, but just in general for setting up how I interact with, with patients and other people in my life, family, um, friends, relationships. Um, but then I think of since we started this journey of, of level up both, um, why, why we do what we do by Edward DC and, um, outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Those were two big ones. I think why we do what we do um, was was huge in the sense of it gave me a little better understanding of perhaps why some of these people that were were challenging a lot of what we've done as a profession and what we've been taught in school and that's <laughs> essentially creating like an existential crisis for some people um, and they talk about other things in the book obviously but I think for me that that gave me a little bit better of an understanding and maybe playing devil's advocate in my own mind as far as for when we come up against a little bit of resistance in this process. Um, yeah. And, and two of our other sort of quote unquote required readings for our students are, is a uh, conscious coaching by one of your guests, Brett Bartholomew, who you had yeah. on. Um, and I think one of my favorite books that I've read thus far is originals by Adam Grant, how nonconformists move the world. And I think that it's that ability. It teaches you to reflect. It teaches you to be more introspective and be more authentic and I think within that, you can't read a book that tells you how to communicate. You become better at communicating by being more authentic and reflecting and doing it and practicing. Um, so I think all of those books really help accomplish that. I think those are really great um, recommendations. I know I've read a couple of those books. I really love Outliers. It's a great book. So kind of going off that note, we ask in the podcast, as you guys know, you're both very... Um, loyal listeners, with a very uh, specific question that we ask everybody. If you could change one aspect of healthcare education, physical therapy or otherwise, which aspect would you change and how would you change it? So we were thinking about this yesterday and I think for me, my initial gut reaction was the biggest thing I would want to see is really a culture shift that really, really, really um, represents humility. Um, I want to see more humility in the healthcare profession. I think that I see, I think that that's one of the biggest reasons why the needle moves so slow as well, is just because of this lack of humility and lack of transparency and being comfortable having conversations with practical, respectful criticism, um, constructive criticism. So I, I do my part in making sure I instill all my students, myself, all of our coworkers with humility is a huge core value of what we do. Cause I truly believe that within that will allow us to continue to grow at a faster rate by being more open and transparent and being able to have these conversations without, you know, having to tiptoe around hurting each other's feelings, knowing that that's how we're all going to grow and get better. Hashtag growth mindset. <laughs> The other biggest thing is we talk about helping to transform students into empowerment model PTs in, in particular, but I think that that can be, again, applied to any clinician or practitioner. I think depending on what profession they're in, it's, it's very biomedical or it's very black and white, and they see people as parts that need fixing. You know, we've heard the analogy before of viewing patients as um, an automobile or a car that need parts that need to be fixed. So I think that my other biggest thing that I would love to see change is 
one of more towards this empowerment whole human view versus someone that comes in as a diagnosis or an imaging report or um, an illness that needs to be surgically repaired or given medicine or um, be, yeah, be, have something be done to them. Um, That would be awesome. (laughs) It sounds like you're kind of advocating for the biopsychosocial model. Is that pretty accurate? One could say that. (laughs) (laughs) I think those are some good answers there. And, you know, this has actually been a really, really fun discussion because I've definitely, I love how every single episode, I always learn something. And I love that because that's just another reason why we do this. And I hope the listeners have as well. But guys, I I realize that there might be some people after listening, they kind of want to check you out, or maybe even if they have a question for you guys, where can they reach you guys or follow you online? Should they want to kind of reach out or just see what you're up to? Yeah, we're, we're both sometimes in charge of the Boston PT Wellness <laughs> Instagram page. Um, that's just at Boston PT Wellness. Um, I am a lot more comfortable on Instagram than I am Facebook, but I'm trying to get better. Um, on Instagram, I am at stephallen.dpt and Facebook just just Steph Allen. Um, you can check out our, the, well, what you talk about level up, but the Boston, um, ptwellness.com is just our, our work website. And then Zach can tell you about the level up website too. So you can find a bit more about me at, uh, my, my personal Instagram is simple strength physio. So at simple strength physio and, uh, running at the level up initiative is the Instagram account, the website being the level up initiative.com. Uh, definitely check it out. And we love, we love learning about other people. We love networking. So please feel free yeah. to reach out. I mean, Brandon, like the, I still remember to this day, the first time that we chatted on the phone was one of the most fun conversations I've ever had. And Scott, the same goes for you too. Like it was just initial <laughs> fireworks because you can sense within seconds, the authenticity of the other party. And I think that's, why we've so appreciated even more so the work that you guys all do together for this podcast, because education isn't necessarily the sexiest thing ever, but we truly believe that what you guys are doing is so such an incredible and insightful step in bringing people together and hearing different perspectives because that is so important to hear each other's perspectives so we can better understand how to move forward. So well, thank you guys. Seriously. No, thank you guys because it's just been amazing seeing what you guys have been able to achieve, the mission you're on. Because, like you said earlier, we're kind of complimenting each other. We're yeah. just going at it from different avenues slightly. Yeah. Like you're getting more of the post professional graduation. We're trying to hit more of the entry level. Symbiosis, my man. I know, pretty much. But I mean, you guys have done tremendous work already. And to our listeners, strongly recommend checking this stuff out because. I can't tell you how many students or new clinicians that I've heard that have said that these are the areas that they felt were challenging after graduation. And this is definitely a very technology-friendly, easy way to get growth and development in this area. So I, I couldn't recommend it enough. So guys, check it out. Got two awesome people here willing to help. Um, but guys, keep doing what you're doing. Let us know if we can help in any way. And thanks for coming on. Thank, Thank you, you for having so us, much. seriously. Access to healthcare is one of the largest issues facing both providers and patients, as millions of people worldwide lack timely and affordable access to healthcare. Anywhere Healthcare, a telehealth platform, is a simple, low-cost option for providers and patients that eliminates the barriers to access to all kinds of healthcare. To find out more, check out 
anywhere.healthcare, which is available on our show notes. And if you use the code HET in all caps when you email to sign up, you'll save 25% off the total cost. Thank you for attending class today, and we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, and the homepage, Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast.com. And for those of you following along in the syllabus, extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review. Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.